Well, it's MLS decision week and Toronto FC entered the regular season finale. Everything to play for as they remain front and center in the Supporters' Shield race. My name is Mitchell Tierney. This is Waking the Red Weekly presented by Footy Talks. And ahead on a big edition of the show, Christian Jack of TSM will stop by to talk all things Toronto FC and Decision Day 2020. And of course, a big show means a big intro. And I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out Jeff for his incredible work putting all of that together. Jeff, people are going to expect stuff from us now. I hope you know that. That's fine. I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> the bar is raised. Michael? I'm great. I'm great, guys. It's, uh, you know, it, we're here. I can't believe we've already played like a full MLS season somewhat. Uh, sorry, Supporter Shield Foundation, but yes, a full MLS season somewhat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, we've made it. The shout out to MLS, shout out to Toronto FC, shout out to everyone involved who's been able to put this together because it's shaping up to be a very, very exciting week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's get into it because uh, with our kickoff segment here, taking you through the biggest news for Toronto FC in 10 minutes or less, uh, it's pretty easy this week. Decision day looms. Toronto FC needing a win or a draw. Uh, if they win, they need Philly to draw or lose. If they draw, they need Philly to lose in order to lift their second supporter shield. Guys, how are we feeling? I'll, we'll start with you, Jeff, going into uh, you know the final week of the MLS season. That goal differential hurts. I mean, that tiebreaker hurts. There, there's no way we're, we're bettering them on goal differentials. So it's uh, it's fairly, uh, it's an easy path to the shield. Uh, Philadelphia loses, we win, it's ours. Um, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, as, a, as a sort of prep for this show. And the general feeling is that Philly, it may have gotten into their heads. They've been here before, um, one game to silverware, and they've not failed. Uh, they've not made it. Sorry, they, they failed every time. So uh, it could be something endemic. And it was interesting because while I was watching the Columbus... Uh, well, yeah, I was watching the Philly-Columbus game. And uh, I can't remember who was calling it, if it was our guys or if it was American guys. I think it was Twelman, actually, who said, you know, Columbus's big issue uh, culturally is that they fall apart at the end of the season. And they, and, they, and they were doing it, and then they sort of bounced back. And Philly's cultural uh, uh, issue has always been that they, they're always the bridesmaid and never the bride. So um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, definitely. But but I still think it's Phillies to lose. Has to be. Has to be. And that being said, a shout-out again, TFC, because they're in this position. They they grinded. They, they picked up a, a huge three points. Uh, when was that? Sunday night, I think, against Inter-Miami. It, was, it wasn't easy um, by any means. I mean, it was a good come-from-behind come victory, but again, this team found a way to win. I feel like that's sort of their identity this season. It's just finding ways to win. Um, but it, it should be a fun week. Like this d- decision day is sort of made for this. Like this is why MLS kind of pumps up this day is because things like this can happen. Different scenarios can, can play out mm-hmm. and it's just great to be in the mix. And from a TFC fan perspective, that, that has to be fun, exciting. And you have to be kind of grateful for that, for that fact. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good thing to mention another grinding win. Uh, their 11th one-goal victory, which Martin Bailey, of course, mentioned. Half of the games Toronto FC have played this year have ended in a one-goal Toronto FC victory. So that, that is a bit of a talking point going in. Obviously, we mentioned the goal difference, and that's the tiebreaker here and why you know Toronto FC needs – it's not directly in their hands whether or not they'll lift the supporters' shield – um what are your thoughts on that i mean you know again going into the playoffs and uh, we've talked about it a little bit is it this you know more that they're able to grind out results or more that we should be concerned that they're not 
doing more to to make sure you know they're they're winning more i i guess comfortably a win's a win is a win do you know what i mean uh three points is three points we're i i forget what stats we, we made better what what records what franchise records we may beat is it points per game and goals per game or, or i know one goals of them, against per game goals against yeah, per, game. per game yeah yeah so, so i mean yeah exactly michael if you can take it from here yeah, no, defensively, T- TFC have been on point. Um, and, you know, Quinton Westberg has been stellar as well at, at the back. But the biggest question mark, it's kind of funny because the biggest question mark coming into the season is how good is this team going to be defensively? Can they, you know, shore up the back? Are they going to be able to start up the counterattacks? Um, and now I feel like that problem's kind of, I don't want to say it's thrown out the window because I feel like this team at any given point, for whatever reason, they could have a brain lapse. Mm-hmm. But they have at least comforted us in, in that sort of, you know, question mark there at the back. And it's shout out to Eric Zavaleta. Shout Absolutely. Out, you know. Shout out to Eric Zavaleta. <laughs> Jess is been, about that one. Well, he's been uh, so good, man. He's been so good. Yeah, no, and he's, you know, he's obviously our whipping boy. So for him to be able to step up there, we got to give him some love. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think Lawrence Simon, he deserves some credit too. Obviously, he wasn't, you know, the greatest in... And uh, those those two matches earlier in the or last week against uh, Philly and New York, but you know he he's a great passer and for for a third center back, fourth center back, like I can't complain about Lawrence Simon. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Uh, well, we well, producer Kev, yeah. Yeah. producer Kev, <laughs> Kev uh, definitely feels different than you. Uh, Kev, you're uh, saying you disagree? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. You know that that uh, going into the playoffs, and we saw this last year, Toronto FC they were able to grind it out defensively, and that was that was kind of the difference. Was you know maybe on the day they played some better teams. You know, you look at New York, you look at Atlanta, and um, they were able to you know at, at least keep themselves in the game, and then get those those moments that penalty against New York, the Deleon magic against Atlanta. That's most of the time, that's how you win playoff games. People forget, but even that 2017 team barely squeaked by the, you know, New York Red Bulls. Mm-hmm. They barely squeaked by Columbus crew. Playoffs are just tough. And Toronto FC's shown themselves once again in that Miami game. They can win tough matchups and, and they've done it against some of the best teams in the league. We also showed once again, giving away soft goals to get people's uh, accounts opened. Uh, you're welcome, Blaze Matuidi. <laughs> hey, that's a fun little shot. I think KJ pointed this out on the broadcast. Did you guys know that Quentin Westberg and Blaze Matuidi both, you know, came out of the same academy? We're actually Claremont? I think. Yeah, Claremont. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Claire, Claire Fontaine, yeah. yeah. Claire Fontaine, sorry, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, and they were actually teammates, I think, all the way back in like 2005. So it's pretty crazy to see this come full circle, you know, what, 15, 16 years later and Blaise Matuidi's opening his account against Quinton Westberg. Um, I'm sure it's a special moment for those guys, especially um, especially Matuidi there, and who had hit a pretty, pretty funny sweat, pretty funny Sully. Yeah. Uh, producer Kev is, is very active on the chat today. Did Bradley <laughs> think Matuidi's shot was going wide? I, I mean, I think you kind of have to ask Michael Bradley, so... Let's get to work on getting him to be a guest on the show. <laughs> I like yeah. I like where that was. Yeah, turn turn yeah. it back on producer Kim. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, uh, what were we talking about? Sorry, I was I completely I used up all of my uh, all of my mental gray matter getting that Kevin shout out. <laughs> There's too much to talk about, man. And mm-hmm. I, I also mm-hmm. before you know we bring on our special guest here, I want to give a little shout out to Ralph Preso who mm-hmm. made yeah. his 
first start there in the midfield, um, first MLS start, um, in place of, quite interestingly enough, Liam Frazier. Um, I thought Prieto was absolutely fantastic. And just, just forgetting his age, I thought he brought something else different into the Toronto FC midfield. And that was some some energy, some legs, you know, some movement. And the thing about the next gen, these these kids that are coming up, they're different, man. They have, they have more composure on the ball. They have they think the game a lot better. It's all about mental now coming up. Mm-hmm. And the, every touch that Preso takes, you can tell it's so calculated and moving forward. And I just it's it's he's he's a fun one to watch. And I just think Bradley and Frazier together, they they didn't look great. They didn't look like they offered TFC too much energy there in the midfield. And I thought Preso kind of changed that dynamic completely. So he had a great game and I don't know, I'll, I'll shift over to you guys and get your thoughts on him. Yeah. Uh, did you think that he was, that he maintained that standard of greatness throughout from, from the first, from the kickoff to, to the end of his time? So I actually thought he started off really well and I thought he kind of eased off a little bit. And then I thought he finished really strong. Mm. Um, and then towards the end there, when, you know, I, I was at Frazier getting ready to come and take him off. I thought he was, he didn't look too, too great. I thought his, his legs were kind of dying out on him, but mm. for the most part, like I thought he was great. Mitch, I know you're, you're, you're dying to chip in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't say too much. Cause we actually have Christian here uh, ready to go. So we'll bring him on. Um, oh, yeah. early, but but I, w- I will say, I, I do think that, um, you know, as much as I like Liam Frazier and, and we'll defend him till the end, uh, Prizo just brought more balance to the midfield, but we are now joined by Christian Jack from TSN and, of course, Footy Talks Weekly. How are you doing, Christian? Great to have you. Uh, great to be with you guys. How's everybody? Fantastic. Well, I'm great, a giant pile of existential dread, but that's besides the point. That's uh, <laughs> not not maybe soccer related. But yeah, no, it's not soccer related. Something else going on today? <laughs> mm, I don't know. Yeah. It's the I, Forge, uh, Forge Tower game, of course. But of course. <laughs> lots of soccer going on, guys. Champions League afternoon coming up to distract us. So it's uh, whenever you need it, soccer's there. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, Christian, I did want to get your thoughts. Of course, we are going into decision day um, and a big game for Toronto FC, of course, from a supporter shield perspective, but also for, for me from a momentum perspective as well, you know, getting some of those injured guys back. Um, and even just the momentum going into the playoffs, how big of a game is this for Toronto FC, you know, at Red Bull Arena? Yeah, I think it's big. I think it's big to continue, the, you know, the, the the momentum coming off Miami. Um, I think, you know, what we saw was the first half, again, wasn't quite good enough. And then the second half, they were able to build up. You know, it's a grind, you know. It's a real grind to try and find out, you know, what you can get here. I think we're evaluating every team um, probably in the – in the gaps between 70% and 90% of what they can get. I don't think anybody can really expect anybody at this point to get hundred percent out of everything they've done when you throw in the long season that they've had certain teams have injuries. So, you know, how much of that 70 to 90% can you get in these games? And I think we've seen it get lower than 70 in a couple of those games, particularly the Philadelphia game. And then now a little bit, you know, you're just trying to push up. You're just trying to get squeeze the maximum that you can possibly get out of it. And, uh, and a chance maybe for a few other players, maybe Jonathan Azorio, who would be key to try and get back in that game. And we saw Mavinga come back. And I think when you can see some of this, these these significant pillars of the team get minutes, uh, that it makes a big difference. You know, I think as the Miami game showed, these games are close, real close. You know, you got a game, you get a game there of a team that many people think are the best in the East and a game, um, you know, with an opponent playing who may not even make the playoffs and just look how close that was. So, yeah, it, it's um, a bounce here, a bounce there. If you know things don't go go your way, you, you could be out of the playoffs pretty quickly. So I think it's a bit of a preview to what we're going to see in, in November and December. 
Mm-hmm. It's exciting times. And, you know, Christian, a lot of the Toronto FC's depth have stepped up. We've heard a lot of different stories come come through uh, this year and none later than Ralph Preso, of course. Um, I guess not so much on Preso, but more so the kids themselves, namely uh, Jaden Nelson, Jaquil Marshall Rudy, and Ralph Preso. How good can these kids get? Like, what is the ceiling for these kids? Because they look like they're comfortable right now in MLS, in my opinion. Yeah, they've looked very comfortable, Michael. And, you know, I, I would say that they should look comfortable because they've, they've, they belong. And I think that, you know, this is not meant as a negative, but I think Greg Vanny and the, and the entire culture of the club is um, naturally reserved and conservative in the amount of minutes that they're giving them because I, th- I think that they don't want to put them in positions where they're going to fail. So they have, you know, They've they've also got a lot of strong competition, so they've not been like a, another team that is not consist- consistently putting minutes out there for these young players because of that. So the competition's there, but when they've been given those opportunities, and you mentioned the players, you know I think they feel like they belong there, and you know there's an element of fearlessness about these players that brings a little bit of freshness to the team as well. I think that's really important. You know they they don't fear anything. They shouldn't fear anything. Um, you know, and I think you know. Ultimately, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a regular season of MLS. We've got soccer. We've got games. And they should go out there and play with a smile on their face. You've got to have a culture of, of, of high performance. It's got to be one that you enjoy. And what these young players do, they, you can see they belong. You can see that they're comfortable. And more importantly, you know, when you talk to the teammates, they know that they belong and they can trust them too. You know, they, they're not looking at these players, even like a Nick Dillion, who's a fringe starter. You, you, you know, you talk to him and he... You know, he says these guys are bringing so much to the team, energy in the training and the competitive uh, when they get the minutes. So I think it's really crucial for any fabric of football when you've got young players coming through. You know, talk about Champions League. I was watching a game a couple of days ago, an Ajax game where, you know, they got an 18-year-old playing in midfield, a 20-year-old playing at centre-back. And, you know, if they're doing it in the Champions League, why can't Toronto do it in MLS? I think you've got to do it. You've got to give these players opportunities to shine and continue to put them out there. And obviously, you still want to win trophies and go for you know, supporters' shields, but you've got to have that kind of pathway through now. It's very important. Yeah. Interesting time. Perfectly segues to my first question. Um, how would you rate the TFC Academy with respect to MLS as a whole? Well, I mean, I think, you know, they've got a tremendous amount of resources there that some MLS teams don't have. So they've got, you know, a step up on some teams already. Um, I think that, you know, what we're seeing now is, I think we're starting to see an example of what I would class as being the Greg Vanny era, at the academy starting to get a bit of fruition. People would say, well, the Greg Vanny era started six years ago. Yeah, but I think, you know, Greg Vanny would come in and, you know, look at those players at a very young age and see what they can do. So, look, as I said, I think it's 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 a real delicate balance when you're a team competing for trophies and how often you give minutes. You can look all around the world, you know, unless you're at teams like Ajax or Porto, who then it's just the absolute fabric of your club because you bring them in and you sell them on, mm-hmm. um, you know, then... You know, if you're a Manchester City right now, for example, they've had a ton of injuries in the Premier League, but there's not a lot of players coming through aside from Foden. Delap's got his chance up front and out now and again, but you know, they're, they're, they know that they're evaluated on winning games. And I think that that's what they have to look at TFC. But I do think, as I said earlier, it's important that they get these players in there and they start to have an opportunity to play these players consistently. And, you know, that's that's the way that professional soccer should be in this country. And it's can only help the Canadian soccer, hope, you know, going forward, hopefully, that these guys get opportunities. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, certainly. Um, I, you know, we've we've seen a lot of Toronto FC players out recently, but I think they've felt the strain of none more so than Jonathan Osorio. Um, how critical has he shown himself to be this year in the lineup and, and that midfield and I guess his maturation of, as a footballer as well? Yeah, it's a great question, Mitchell. I think, I think he's a marvelous player. You know, I really think I still think that he's, you know, extremely underrated in MLS circles. You know, you don't get people talking about him in the United States. You know, I've got my ballot this week to start preparing for MLS uh, awards, MVP, best 11. And I've got a bunch of players here that I've got to decide how I get them in my best 11. And there's about 20 players I've written down. He's one of them. You know, I might not, I might not get in him, him in there. I don't know yet, uh, but that's how good he's been. You know, for me, he's been one of the best midfielders on one of the best teams in Major League Soccer. And it's just everything that he does. You know, it's not just about what it, with, with the ball. It's his ability to find space. He makes players better around him. Mm-hmm. Um, he stepped up this year in an enormous leadership role as well, which he, which I think shows a lot about his maturation as well. You know, he's gone through a, a, you know, a lot over the last few years in terms of working out his own game. You know, I think Jonathan Azorio's story will go back to everyone talks about that marvelous two-legged tie against Montreal that has been a, a big, the, the biggest chapter in the history of Toronto FC. But Jonathan Azorio was pulled off at the Olympic Stadium at 3-0. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't get to start the second game. And he's had a lot of a lot of those times where he's had to work on his game and and, and have that decision of what's he going to become. And I think he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for self-reflection, which is not easy. And, you know, for me now, he's so intelligent. And the other thing is so... I think he's very, very vertical in his thinking. He plays the ball quickly, move it forward. Delgado brings the legs and the energy, but I think Azorio brings the intelligence to the midfield. And I think it's significantly lacking when he's not there. It's, it, you know, there's not, there's no other player like him in the team. So you, you, you can't say I'm going to put Ralph Prizo there and ask him to be Jonathan. Sorry, he can't be. He's too young. Hmm. You know, there's nobody else who plays the standard that he can do. He can play as a six. He can play as an eight. He can play wide on the left if you ask him to. So. Um, yeah, I think he's been. I think he's had a fantastic season. Mm-hmm. And it, you painted that picture really well. Why he's so important to this team. One of my favorite just Ozo moments, just off the top of my head, is when they lost the Voyagers Cup last year to to Montreal, and he was doing a little press post game press conference in the hallway, and we had some reporters around him, and then all you see is the Montreal team with the trophy going by into into another room, and yeah. you see Ozo stop mid sentence desk there straight at the Montreal players. That's just the type of person Osorio is. And that's just the type of, you know, energy and culture that he brings to this team off the field. Um, he hates losing and he wears it on his, on his sleeve. And that's why he was the captain, I guess, this season for, uh, for a lot of this time for Greg Vanny and his, his maturation off the field is just as impressive as it on the field. So I want to highlight that. But another thing I want to talk about Christian with you is of course, Io Akinola and the story that he's been and you know i think we don't get to we don't get these stories a lot um where kids are undecided which country they're going to play for canada usa do you have any idea which way i was sort of leaning here and, and, and why <laughs> I can't. I'm. I'm. I don't, I'm not going to come in with any massive exclusive. I can't pretend right. to know anything. Um, you know, I know that he feels very much Canadian. I know that that invitation went out to the Canadian Soccer Association through his agent at the time. He subsequently changed agents at the time in January about potentially playing for Canada in the Olympic qualifying tournament. That was extended to Canada by his representatives in January of this year. 
that tells you a lot of what he was feeling at the time. I mean, there's just there's no other way about it. Um, I also know that at the time, nobody was calling Iowa Canola. United States, right. Canada, nobody was giving them a call, right? So then he's performed well, and he's shown them what he can do. And now he's on the radar of John Herbert, and he's on the radar of Greg Berhalter. So it's <laughs> it's a tug of war. And, you know, ultimately, neither of them are going to win. Iowa Canola is going to win. You know, mm-hmm. he gets to pick, he, he's going to get to decide where he goes. And it's a big decision for him. You know, both John Herdman and Greg Berhalter feel very confident. I know that speaking to them, I know that they feel confident that they're going to win this. So we'll figure it out. You know, I think Iowa Canola has been very intelligent in the fact that he hasn't publicly, publicly committed to it because I do think he knows. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it's important to talk about it right now because his concentration level needs to be fully, solely focused on his club. And if he starts getting involved in that and discussions about that, then, then you know, he's lucky that right now there's no squads been named. Even the United States named their squad this morning and there's no MLS players in there for obvious mm-hmm. reasons because they don't want to take them to Europe because of the issues with quarantine. And so he hasn't had to make that decision. Uh, but I do believe he has made it and we'll just have to figure out what, you know, what that will be. But right now his sole focus needs to be on TFC because, uh, quite frankly, he's become an absolutely enormous piece in this mm-hmm. club. And if they, you know, if Iowa Canola got hurt tomorrow and was out for the season, then you, I think you could pretty much say that this club's not going to win anything. Uh, because without Iowa Canola and without Josie Altador, as you guys all know, you don't need me to tell you. They're just a completely different team. Yep. <laughs> Definitely don't need you, need you to tell me that. Yeah. No, 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 no. But uh, KJ, I, I'm really curious about this. For you, what was the exact moment that you felt TFC went from meh to yeah? Wow, that's a really good question, Jeffrey. Um, this season, you mean, or in no, franchise? no, in general, in general, like was Uh-oh. it bloody okay. big deal? Was it? Was no, it? No, no, uh, I've got the answer for you. Okay, I thought you went this season. It's the, well, like we can do this season too. No, no, from, from <laughs> there to yeah, um, it's a good question. It, for me, it's the Philadelphia game, the first playoff win at home. Hmm. That's for me is the moment that they because and I've spoke to a lot of people, Michael Bradley and Vanny and a lot, Greg Vanny, a lot of people about that is that the the relief after that game was palpable. It was just the, the franchise needed a victory at home and they needed, they knew they were a good team, but it, you know, they were, it was a really good opponent for them because they played a team who'd never done anything either, mm-hmm. but they went into that game really nervous and they knew they had to win it. But in a game like that, where anything can happen on a one-off match, if they'd lost that game, I don't think we would have been sitting there talking about the success that they've had since. I really, I really don't. I mean, who knows what would have happened? They may have figured it out, but it, you know, it sped up the journey a little bit. It got, yeah. it got quicker, and you know that, you know, it, it, you know. Then obviously, big, big, dis, big things happen after that, and the Montreal series was enormous, and mm-hmm. then obviously the 2017 MLS Cup win was was massive. But I do think that 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 win over Philadelphia where Javinko and Altador were enormous that night mm-hmm. um, was, was, was huge. You know, you could go back to October 14th, 2015, the Javinko goal against the Red Bulls, which for me remains to be the most special goal for the club, the way that it just in you know, just woke mm-hmm. everything up and they got their first playoff berth. Um, but I think it was the game against Philly for me that, that, that was the big one that turned around the franchise. Awesome. What about you guys? What do you guys think? <laughs> I think for me, um, the Philadelphia one's a good show, but I'd, I'd almost say the second half of that Montreal game that same year, 2016, um, at uh, Olympic Stadium, you know, the, the big O where they're 
they're dead in the water. You know, they're down three nil. They they'd lost the year before to Montreal, and that ability to claw back two goals. You know, Bradley scoring that that big goal, and, and to give themselves a chance in that second leg, I, I think that changed everything. Because say they go out to Montreal a sec another year in a row, you know, then all of a sudden there's a kind of a boogeyman situation there with the impact and even with the club's confidence. And I thought that was just big for them to you know give themselves a chance. And then we all know, of course, what happened at Pimo Field uh, in the second leg. Yeah. There. Yeah. yeah, for me, for me and Macro, it was signing Seba at 20, what was he, 27, 28? Uh, you know, it, it started a trend where we were actively looking for, I don't want to say distressed assets, but certainly people, players with a chip on their shoulder that wanted to prove something. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, an aesthetic that we, we sort of made, we scaled up. I mean, a lot of the players over the last couple of years have had that same kind of uh, MO to some degree. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of agree there. Sorry, Christian, go ahead. Go no, it's ahead. okay. Carry on, please. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd sort of agree there with, uh, with Jeff saying, but take us back a step further and say even Michael Bradley and, you know, bloody big deal, Jermaine Defoe. Um, I know, obviously, he didn't turn out to be what TFC fans hope. I, I know he wasn't on the field as much as TFC fans hoped. Um, but that sort of moment there signified that this club was a real you know that they were they were the real deal like they they were bringing in stars and michael bradley was what 26 27 when he came in correct me if i'm wrong but Mm -hmm. again like the the, i was someone in their prime i know defoe was probably about like 31 32 when he came in toronto c um still a class goal scorer with tottenham and and in the premier league and everything that he did so (laughs) that time was was it it piqued my interest as a, a general toronto fc fan and I think that turned the corner for where what the club, I guess, you know, showed in the coming years. Yeah, I think they're all good shouts. You know, you talk about the bloody big deal. I was in Seattle that game, that first game that they did with Defoe and Bradley. And after that, you know, the eyes of the club representatives and everybody else covering us, we were just like, wow, what mm-hmm. has this become? Because you go from, you said from mayor to yeah, it wasn't really even really mayor before. It was a lot worse. Yeah. Than yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that Seattle game was a little bit of a mess. Uh, okay. Cause it, but it was a little bit of a false dawn, but that day was like, wow. You know, there were people thinking this team's going to win MLS cup. You know, they went to Seattle and they were, it was just, but obviously things didn't pan out with the foe mm-hmm. um, on that one. But that was, that was a day when you went, wow, this is, and the Javinko shout's great too, you know, because the thing about Seba was that, you know, he, he was a culture setter. Yep. And he was, that's the thing about Javinko. And he didn't even do it. He didn't even know he was doing it, but he did it. And, yep. you know, that's, that's what it makes it even better. I think, you know, you know, he, he set standards very high that other people had to follow. And, and he, but he didn't do it in a way where he lost his time and he lost his patience with other people. He still knew that he was the best player in the league and he needed to show some kind of sympathy for teammates and build them up in his own way about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I go back to October 14th, 2015 a lot because one of my favorite things I ever wrote was about that goal that, that night. Well, obviously, everyone talks about the Bautista backflip. But you know, Sebastian Javinko landed in the air, landed on the on the airport that day. You know, he, he flew in that day. You know, he played in Italy the night before, the night before. You know, and he and he landed that day to play that game and score that goal. And as I said that night after I wrote it, Toronto FC had spent you know millions of dollars on DPs who couldn't wait to go back to Europe the moment they got a chance. Mm-hmm. And here was a DP who couldn't wait to come back from Europe when he didn't even need to, to make yep. a difference. And that was the culture that he set. And that was the difference, you know, and that's, 
obviously that you know you know Jovinko's I think is one that's why he goes down as being the biggest signing in the cl in club history with un undoubtedly for me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh we have a question from a from a friend of mine across the pond and it's one uh, I wanted to ask uh KJ if England were starting a fresh league from now what are the best uh bracket different things they could take from the MLS wow uh if they, England was starting a fresh league, what could they take from MLS? Well, I mean, the competitiveness is the fact that, you know, I think the Premier League, the way it is right now, is one that we're all enjoying because it, it's really unpredictable. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I did a show last night as I do on Monday nights for Sirius, and I was doing some research, but 12 teams in the Premier League this season already have won a game and then followed that game with a loss. And, and some teams are not even eligible to do that because they haven't won a game yet. So that's, you know, a huge bulk of percentage of teams. And I think we see that in MLS. Some people don't like that. Some people like the Goliaths roaring all the time and having the true jet, you know, the two, the big teams winning all the time. But I think the unpredictability of, of MLS can certainly translate to the Premier League. That would be nice. Uh, there's a lot of things I think MLS could learn from the Premier League the other way around to try and get it more competitive and bring the value of the games. Uh, but I do think that if they were setting up a league tomorrow, they would look at how do you sprinkle the revenue around a little bit more? How do you have that franchise model a little bit more? The unpredictability a bit more. Look, the, you know, that's never going to happen. It's just mm -hmm. not going to because of what, they, what they've created. But I think they could definitely learn, learn from that a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that's the, the, the main thing for me um, is, is probably that. Yeah, and the end of best 11s not just being a whole bunch of forwards and wingers, but an actual <laughs> side that can play. Forward. Can we just stick a fork in that and get it done? <laughs> the MLS, I, like, I, I follow them on, on social media, but it's great. But I, I want to, like, I don't know, I'm not smart enough to do this, but, like, mute, like, words, like, best 11. Like, mm -hmm. just, just just stop this nonsense. Like, yeah. uh, like if you're a centre-back and you're getting a best 11, you may, you may you probably have to score a goal or something. Like, <laughs> it's, like it's always a back three. There's mm -hmm. always like forwards playing on the wing, mm -hmm. like five forwards in the team. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. What, you guys don't like the bench? You guys don't like the seven <laughs> players that they name on the bench as well? I thought I knew that. I very little attention to it. But yeah, stop naming seven strikers in a best 11. Yeah, yeah. George, I don't know if we have time to talk about KJ's favorite band uh, cast uh, this this episode. Nice. Okay, yeah. let's, all right. Let's. Uh, do you still rate cast as your favorite musical group? And why isn't it Suede and or Paul? Or... Is Sheffield's finest Wildman the pump man? Uh, the oh wow! Man. Yeah, I can't say that my conversations with Wildman extend to music. Maybe that's <laughs> uh, although Wildman's more of a Lionel Richie man, I think. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see him dancing on the ceiling, but he does a bit more of that. <laughs> um, cast is cast is all down to my first time. You know, people say you never forget your first love. Like that was like I went to see them live. And um, I was doing a little bit of work then in the newspapers. We got a bit backstage, but it was a small venue in Blackburn. Mm. And this was not like going to watch um, the Verve in the park in Wigan or going to watch Oasis and stuff like that. This was like the real small venue and they just absolutely blew it up, blew, blew the doors off the nice. place. So yeah, so for me, that's why it's always them. And yeah, it's great. We're fans, all, all change is a great record, man. So Nice, I love yeah. to talk about guys. Yeah. Very few people know cast in Canada, so it's great. To oh, hear. wow, wow. Yeah. I mean, well, Even people that I've worked with who consider themselves music buffs, they don't really know them because they don't think they ever went international too much but you guys might know more, more about that than me yeah i mean they, they they were birthed from the laws so everybody knows the laws right yes of course then yeah. you just gotta 
you just got to make that that quick uh uh will dunn asked uh and this is another one that's probably a, an essay answer but where do you see the mls in 10 to 20 years time where do I see it or what would I like it to be? <laughs> either or, either or. <laughs> Can we have MLS 1, MLS 2, and MLS 3 with relegation and promotion? That would be that would yes. be amazing for me. Convince um, the owners that have spent tens of, bill- of millions of dollars. I, could, I don't know whether I could convince owners they can mm-hmm. do what they want, but I would, first of all, start by saying, don't worry, you're not losing your franchise. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want a promotion relegation system like the like, – you don't need to have USL teams trying to get it promoted. If you finish bottom in the MLS 3, you're not going anywhere, lads. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Like, if that's if that's what you want to do and you're content with that, then, every you know, you keep spending your money to finish bottom in MLS 3. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but – for me, that's what I would do. I would mm. love that. I would have a three-tier league system where you you encourage and you have playoffs to get in as well and relegate and promote. And, and then you also have the teams who win MLS 3 go into a playoff to try and win MLS Cup as mm. well. And they just get a different seeded factor. So at the end of it, there's still a priority for them to chase that as well. Uh, that's what I would love to see. I think that there's it's not about copying the European model. It's just, mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as I've said consistently on a lot of the shows that I've did and the supporter shield argument kind of brought this back up again. For me, it's, it's bringing real value to every game is the key for MLS. Now every yeah. game has to matter. You know, we just watched the premier league game yesterday. Um, you know, Fulham versus West Brom. Oh, you know, I thought you were going to talk about me beating Michael's team, but that's fun. <laughs> Fulham versus West Brom yesterday. Um, you know, and it's no, you know, it's the beginning of November, and it's a massive six pointer, and it means everything for these teams. You know, but it, you know, it, relatively speaking, that's not the case here in Major League Soccer. And you know, whether it's a good thing or not, I know this year is different. But DC United, where are they? Thirteenth out of fourteen in the <laughs> East, and they still have a chance to make the playoffs with one game to go. Yeah, which yeah. is 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 crazy for me so I, I you know for me if you if you want to bring that competitive value into the league just stretch the markets a little bit and pull it and get the games going and that's that's certainly what i would like to see i don't know what you guys think but kj you're giving that some thought eh you have no, an answer ready <laughs> uh, i like it's, it it's one i've been asked a few times yeah mm-hmm. i mean i could i i i'd like more time to think about it michael to be honest but really plan it out a little bit but who knows how many how many franchises are going to be in it but I think there's a way to do that. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it needs to be, you know, you don't need to have 34 regular season games. You can just make sure everyone still plays the same amount of games and figure it out. There's different ways to do it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I even think this year, you know, I, I think we have to be careful that we're just not falling into this pattern of like, oh, well, first plays eighth, and then that's what they need to do. Like, you know, there's so many other areas you can learn from in terms of like, you know, should first maybe play second and yeah. say you get, you know, first place second or first place that, you know, the top four play each other. Um, so the, you know, the two teams from there go to the next round after that. And then you have a winner. It can push forward. You know what? You know, we're going to go to a playoff round. We're going to go to a playoff round after the international break here where teams are not going to play for two and a half weeks. Hmm. You know, and then the teams that come back are going to play, and then maybe have to play four days later. And I would say that that might be an advantage to them. It might be an advantage to the teams in the one-off playoff round that have already played to play again four days later against one of the teams that they won't be favored to beat because they've just played and they've got they've, they've had a game. While teams like Toronto FC are going to sit around for two and a half weeks, obviously mm-hmm. trying to get healthy, but no competitive games for two and a half weeks just because they've been one of the top seeds. And I, and I think it might be a disadvantage. Yeah. That is a very good point. Absolutely. 
Yeah, before we uh, before we let you go here, KJ, we have a segment on the show called the Michael Singh Injury Update, which unfortunately <laughs> has become a, a long part of the show in recent weeks. Uh, we were wondering if you could fill us in on on the latest on you know the the number of Toronto FC players that have been sidelined of late. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about my own injuries. So. <laughs> <laughs> we knew those as well. If you, I've got. I need I've to hear got, that too. Let I've got an injury with my ankle at the moment. So, no, no. Um, <laughs> you can put me on the injury report, but that's a permanent issue. So, um, uh, oh, you mean TFC players? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think Azorio might be trying to be ready for this week. I think that's important that they try and get him back. I don't think Delgado's going to play. I don't think Piazzi's going to play. Altidore's not going to play. Um, you know, who we're missing. Mavinga did play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a long list, I suppose. Am I missing anybody else? I think that might be the key ones. I think ones you covered that. that. I think yeah. the, the key ones that we're thinking of. Yeah, Delgado, Piatti, and Altador. I think that their best aim now is to try and play that game, which will be, what, probably in three weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. That'll be the first time Josie Altador kicks a ball or in a game action in, what, two two months? Something yeah, like, something that, like that. Right? I mean, Roberto, if he's going to play his last name, but will we see Josie again in 2020 was a question we just got asked. Well, I think if he's injured, if he's healthy, then you have to have him of course. playing. Yeah. Um, but whether he's, whether he's going to be ready to play or not, we'll have to find out. I think we've, I think what we've seen with the emergence of Iowa Canola, which could, which is an enormous savior for the club this season is that, that right now, if Akinola's healthy, he's going to play. Yep. And I don't necessarily think in a playoff game, as much as they've experimented with it, if Altidore's ready to go, I, I I would be surprised if both of them play from the start. That's my, my my take in terms of in a big playoff game where you need to be congested and you need to win that battle and you need to win the midfield battle. Are you really going to play if they're all available? Piatti, Pozuelo, Altidore, Akinola. Mm-hmm. I don't think you are. No, I agree. I agree. Well, as I mentioned off the top, an exciting week for MLS. Thank you so much, Christian, for, for getting us Thank set Thank you forward. so much, Christian. Hey, it's always a pleasure, guys. Keep up the great work. These shows are really important. It's love to see the soccer conversation carry on during the week. It's never just about the game. So uh, we appreciate you. Keep it up, and we'll chat soon. Thanks again. Cheers, KJ. Thanks, KJ. Awesome. Thanks. Cool. Uh, yeah, great, great wow. stuff from KJ, man. Yeah. Um, about about that Akinola con. There's no there's no chance Josie Altador starts over I Akinola right now. There's no chance. Mm-hmm. Um, no. And even even them playing together, like I know Vanny did try it when they were healthy, but they honestly didn't look great when they did play together. Um, I think we can think back to Columbus. That's when Josie Altador got injured, I believe, when he pulled the signal. Was that against Columbus? It was after yeah. Josie Altador, I think, got injured is when TFC started to make their their full-fledged comeback. Um, so, again, I don't think you can just throw, go back. And if if Altador is available, you start them. I think Akinola's earned his spot on this side as, as the team's starting striker going forward. And um, yeah. even if you seeing, do throw all them. Yeah, I, love seeing, I love seeing him and, and, and my boy Patrick Mullins play together. I thought mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that was an interesting look. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of it, man. And you know, Vanny, Vanny kind of talked about it after, but it's because um, Miami was playing in sort of five at the back, and they're kind of giving TFC that space. So we kind of want to add that extra striker into the mix. And mm-hmm. obviously, things worked out the way they did. Hayao Akinola brings down that ball from Patrick Mullins and does wonderfully with it. And 
I kind of want to touch on that goal a little bit before, because I know we do, we do want to talk about it a little bit more before we close off here, but mm-hmm. just that goal quickly. We've talked about it on the show before. Io Akinola's size, he's getting that respect. He's not going to get that call against him just because he he plays such a physical style, but he, mm-hmm. he plays it within the lines, but within the rules of the game. You don't see his arm extended. You don't see him going out to grab anyone. Like You just see him kind of easing his way over there before the, the defender kind of just flops. So... All day on that Akinola and just all yeah. day on that goal, man. That goal was fantastic. All he day. Took, it the, took it on the chest and yeah. then volleyed off his off his first touch off the chest. I mean, I'm a happy pappy with that goal. <laughs> uh, I I have a question and it may I heard it uh, mentioned and I can't remember which podcast, but someone had, had basically called the Michael playing with Liam Frazier in the same midfield experiment over, and I don't know if if we're there yet. We probably are. We might be. We might. It might be over, honestly, because look, I. Well, first off, I think Osorio and Delgado are coming back, and then I don't think you're seeing it again, at least not in a starting capacity. Um, I also think Liam might be done. Um, I. I don't know. I, I have a piece coming out shortly on Waking the Red with with more on how I think Tronofsky's kind of mismanaged Liam Frazier this year, and um, there's a lot I could get into on that, and I don't think it's the you know, I, I don't think we have the time. I think we have more important things to get to this week. But I, I do think, I do think, uh, yeah, the Bradley Frazier experiment's done. I, th- I think rightly so. I, I think they're just too similar. And, you know, they, they just kind of step on each other's toes a little bit in the midfield. And that that's the thing is that they're they're too similar. They're both not not quick enough. They're both great passers, great touches. They both do great work behind the ball when they when we don't have the ball. But when we're on the ball, there's just not that option going forward. And for a team that already lacks a, a, a number nine with Akinola out, I mean, it's that was excruciating to see because you know at that point TFC are just kind of shoring up and they're they're trying to defend the game as, as opposed to go out, trying to go out and win it. Um, that being said, if TFC do need to defend a game, I still think I'd love to turn to Frazier and Michael Bradley there in the midfield because they they do bring that that sort of assuredness there in their passing and in their mm-hmm. ability behind the ball. Um, but I just don't think starting the game like that, I think that's just that's just inviting pressure. And I just think that's not inviting inviting some or that that's inviting some some bad yeah, it's news. Not, it's but, not it's not breeding success, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's better options now. Especially with, with Osorio coming back. I'm I'm still not convinced Delgado's coming back, by the way. I still have question marks about that. So hmm. keep an eye on that. Um we'll try hmm. and get some more info out of Vanny, but we'll see. Uh do you think there's any smoke to the fire of the Vanny to LA Galaxy rumors? <laughs> Wait, what? I, I didn't even hear that. LA Galaxy is missing a coach. Greg Vanny uh, yeah. played most of his MLS okay. career. But are you are you starting this rumor now? No, no, no. It's been bandied <laughs> around. Oh, okay, that, around. yeah. There's there's nothing to that. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's nothing to that. All right. All right. I'm 100 yeah. confident Vanny's going to resign with with Toronto FC. Um, mm-hmm. It's just you know a matter of dotting some eyes, crossing some T's. Because in the, in the last two days, I mean, Brian Schmetzer's also contract is up at the end of the year. His mm-hmm. name has also been thrown around as a potential LA uh, Galaxy coach. So is uh, so is uh, Keen, Keener. They want to bring him back as a coach. I saw Keen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be John Herdman. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't. I, th- I think Vanny would honestly be silly to leave um, Sean Offsy at this moment for the LA it, Galaxy, who are a it's club a, just it's a not in a great way right now. Oh, yeah, it's a mute yeah. conversation. I don't it's even think where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly 
uh, five, ten years ago, LA Galaxy is a marquee club. They're not now, but five, ten years ago. Toronto FC is a marquee club in MLS. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Five, ten years ago, I, it was a little bit different. But you know. That's fair. With, with that's that fair. being said, we did all laugh when they said Bezbachenko to Columbus. I know that exactly. wasn't a lateral move like exactly. this would be, but um, we, we did all laugh at that. And then all of a sudden, he was <laughs> he was with the Columbus crew. But I do think this is... this is. I, I remember laughing right. about Seba to Al-Halal until he was on a plane. So. Okay. okay, but hold on. Hold on. Did, did Bez, did Seba... Both come out and say that they're they're gonna resign and they're no, they're gonna no, resign. No. Has Ali Curtis come out or you know the GM at the time had to come out and said and that they're gonna resign? Is mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Bill Manny's come on publicly saying that they're very close. Like this, this is a mute conversation. Manny's reapping in Toronto. Yeah. Um, I think he's, he's you know he's said he's where he wants to be. I just his family's here. His four four kids. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's not yeah, it's not it's not okay. happening. Okay. Jeff had to get one more pot stir in before the uh, <laughs> the show there, but. Very, very quickly, let's let's talk about it. Toronto FC, New York Red Bull. Um, I guess there's really two games we're keying in because there's also New England versus Philadelphia Union. Uh, two things stand out. Union have not lost at home yet this season where they will be playing New England Revolution. Uh, Revolution not in bad form, though, and they also, uh, as far as I know, they're, they're towards the bottom of that automatic playoff spot. Um position so they're going to want to win that game just to you know make sure they don't have to drop into those play-in games mm-hmm. um red bulls have not been great lately two wins in their in their last eight games uh of course they drew tron off see that screamer from young Caden clark but um yeah what, what are you guys thoughts on on decision day and how it shapes up for toronto fc Red Bull is always a dicey proposition. Yeah. That's Red Bull's final thing. day of the season. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. yeah. Always. It just has uh, to be a way too. I saw that when they, they first dropped the air. I'm like, this is this is not gonna be good. <laughs> something about it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it you know, Red Bulls, it's it's chaos. And how, how do you predict chaos? You just sort of hold on to your chair and 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 enjoy the ride. And I think that's that's sort of what uh 3:30 p.m. Sunday. It's change up, mm. man. We've been used to some night games. We're gonna have to change our change our routines, change things up. Maybe they'll bring some positive mojo to TFC. Maybe they'll bring some negative mojo to Philadelphia. That's what we're hoping for, right? The Philly game at the same time, or is it? Is Every it, game's at the same time. That oh, yeah, of course, it's decision day. Decision day, JPN. <laughs> I forgot about that one very important factor of decision day. Uh, that's gonna be wild. 3:30 Sunday. That's gonna be wild styles. Um, you know, knock on all the wood, right? Let's hope uh, TFC get the win, Philly uh, sputter out, and we're lifting a manhole cover. There you go. Um, as as we've said, huge week ahead for Toronto FC. So great to have Christian Jack on. I mean, oh my that god, was a, that was an awesome discussion. Um, every time I listen to that guy, I learn something new, and, and today was definitely no different. Um, again, huge shout out to Jeff for, for the new intro. That, that was awesome. Huge shout out to Michael for being the star of, of the new intro. Um, Got you guys there. <laughs> and uh, of course, thanks to Kevin and Sophia for everything they've been doing behind the scenes. Uh, I think the show just keeps getting better week in, week out. So um, hopefully we're, we're peaking at the right time and hopefully so is Toronto FC. So as always, thanks so much for watching, listening and interacting. Till next Tuesday. Namaste. Cheers.